you'll take the Word of God with me again and turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 12, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. Colossians 2, we began looking at this chapter, and we've simply entitled the chapter Complete in Christ, and we dealt with the first 11 verses last Lord's Day, and we're going to look, Lord willing, at the second half this morning. Beginning there in verse 12 of Colossians 2, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered, and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Touch not taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. You'll recall that as we study chapter one, we thought upon and reflected upon there really is none that can be compared to Christ. And Paul, as he wrote to the church at Colossae, he wanted to remind those that were in the faith of their completeness in that incomparable Christ. Remember, Paul, as we saw last week, expressed his great concern for the Colossians. He had never seen them face to face, yet he exhorted them to remain steadfast and to remain constant in their faith. But he warned them. He warned them that there were false teachers among them. There were those who would come and would attempt to plunder, would attempt to undermine, would attempt to bring them back into some sort of bondage, and that they would try to take from them the very blessings and privileges that they had in Christ. He cautions them about what to do. He cautions them and admonishes them on what to look for, what they will do, what they will say. We have to keep in mind that what Paul was writing about was not some fringe doctrine. It was not some fringe teaching. Churches were accepting it. They were beginning to acknowledge and accept what these false teachers were bringing. So Paul is not just speaking by means of, I'm doing this because there's not a problem. He's doing this because it had already become a problem. 
It had already infiltrated the churches. It had already gotten in. We looked last week how that Paul, he had never met them, but yet he had heard of their faith. He had heard of their hope. He'd heard about their love for one another. And he desired their care. He desired to be continually praying for them. One of the greatest things we can do for one another is to pray for one another. And he prayed for them and he carried their needs. He carried their burdens to this great God that we've already we, we, we read about today. We've meditated on the word. Paul always had these people on his heart. He wanted them to be comforted. He wanted them to be reminded that you are knit together. You're knit together by love and that all things you have are complete in Christ. How that in Christ, all the riches of God's grace and glory are found. Friends, we hear this so many times and we we talk about it together. But it doesn't matter where you are in your life right now. It doesn't matter what you see going on around the world. It doesn't matter what you're enduring right now. Christ is everything and all that you need. Every last bit of it. He's all you need in salvation and he's all that you need in your life. In Christ, we are complete. Full. Full to overflowing. Paul did not want them to be deceived. He didn't want them. They used the word beguiled. Remember, these beguilers didn't openly contradict. They were subtle. They pretended to have a great affection for the gospel. They pretended to have a great affection for Christ. But at the very heart of what they were doing was man's wisdom. When man's wisdom enters into the church, when man's wisdom enters into the pulpit, you begin to go down the exact same road that these these believers at Colossae were going down. God never called man's wisdom and man's philosophy to be enough. He never called man to be the determining factor. We're told to preach Christ. Preach Him in His fullness. Preach Him in totality. Not a Christ of man's imagination, not a man of Christ, or not a Christ of man's thoughts, but the Christ of the Word. We saw that He reminded them that you ought to be rooted in this, you ought to be built up in Christ. It was that metaphor talked about the roots being deeply established. He challenged the traditions in verse 8. We asked the question last week, what do you want with man's traditions? Christ has revealed this great truth to you. What do you want with the world's traditions? What do we want Paul, Paul's very clearly saying you're, you're, you're taking in useless knowledge. You're bringing in that which is, doesn't matter. You already have this whole, the whole truth. And pardon the expression, and nothing but the truth. All that you need is in Christ. In Him dwelleth the whole Godhead, he said in verse 9. The whole Godhead. You are complete in Him. Verses 10 and 11. 
You have the death, the burial, the resurrection. He speaks about in verse 12, everything you have in Christ. You are so firmly rooted in Christ that you have no need to look anywhere else. All that you have is in him. He reminds them of what they came from, where they were, and where they are now. Those two verses, 12 and 13, he says, in you, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. And if this phrase, if this phrase as a child of God doesn't speak to us, having forgiven you all trespasses, all of them, the ones you committed this morning, the ones you committed yesterday, the sins of commission, the sins of omission, the sins, all of them, you realize if he didn't forgive them all, you'd still be dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. But yet, he has forgiven you all trespasses. There are people probably sitting here today that are eaten alive by the sins of their past. If you have repented of those sins, if you have been forgiven of those sins, you need to trust God's word and what God's word says about those sins. That's exactly what they are is in the past. Everybody in this room has past sin. Every one of us has past sin. If God has forgiven you for Christ's sake, why do you keep bringing it up? I, I just, I can't because of what I've done. He's forgiven you all your trespasses. Complete in Christ. You're so complete in Christ Jesus that even a confession to a person is of no use to you. The Catholics have got it so wrong that they can go to a priest for some sort of false pardon. Yet you're complete in Christ. You being dead, Paul says. Being dead. And yet, he continues to remind them of things that were not new to them. Again, wonderful verses here. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Remember, he was talking to not just Jews. He was talking to Jews and Gentiles. And he reminded them, we saw last week, how even some of the very Jewish ceremonies, he said, you were shut out of those things. But in Christ, these have been abolished. Christ has driven such a decisive nail through them, He's fastened them to His cross. Paid. Complete. 
Christ has done it all. The hand writing on the cross, the record of what we owed, everything that was against us was nailed to his cross. Every last sin was nailed to his cross. But it wasn't ultimately free, free to us. But who? Christ took it out of the way. Christ took upon him the debt, the sin. Completely. What he has done for his people. The sin wasn't ignored, as some falsely teach. Sin was not overlooked. Christ took the penalty. Christ paid for it in full, fully satisfying the demands of the holy God. Often we hear people say things like that. Well, you know, it, God overlooked it. He didn't overlook it. Christ paid for it. Paid for our sin. But not only did he pay for our sin, I want you to notice very clearly, verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it all. Completely spoiled the spiritual darkness. And he didn't do this in a hidden manner. He did it openly. When we think about uh, all the powers of evil and we see all the darkness around the world and we see all the wickedness and all the evilness, you realize Christ has utterly destroyed the principalities and the powers. One man used the illustration of it. This is illustrated like the, the uh, triumphal procession when someone would come back from war, they have completely destroyed the enemy. Not only did he destroy the enemy of sin, but he destroyed the enemy of death. The number one fear of every person is death. And yet Christ openly displayed, I have destroyed it, I have spoiled it. There is no one or no thing that can take that away from you. You are complete. The sting of death is gone. Never more to return. Now, verse 16, he starts getting more in detail about what these that claim to have a love for the gospel were doing. They were reintroducing these very ordinances, these very things that Christ had nailed to the cross. He says, let no man therefore judge you in these things, meat and drink, holy days, new moon, Sabbath days. In other words, don't put yourselves back under these things which God has not ordained. Now again, don't misunderstand. You could be seated, seated, here, seated here today and say, there are certain things I'm going to abstain from. But don't do it just because someone else does it or because you think it makes you better. 
Right? If you abstain from something, then abstain from it. But don't let it be the very ruling of your heart. Don't act as if you keeping those things would save you because they won't. You could refrain from all the meat that was offered to idols. You could refrain from all the drink. You could respect every holy day. You could respect every new moon. And it won't save you. No matter how strict compliance you give it. Ultimately, he's saying, don't make man the lawgiver. Christ is your lawgiver. He gives the reason what all these things were for. Verse 17, these things that were once. He said, these were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. We're not relying on shadows and pictures and types anymore. We, we already have the very substance of it. That which was the shadow, we now have the substance. We have Christ. Some continue to multiply and add regulations and add ordinances. You have to have this form and that form and do this service and don't do this service. Paul says, don't bring yourself under the subjection of man's wisdom. Follow and keep close to Christ. Paul's, Paul's writing here, Christ is the very completion of all these things. That what you have in Christ is the completion of these things. So don't try to add to it. Verse 18, let no man beguile you, deceive. Beguiling deception is sometimes hard to detect. Remember, deception doesn't come right out and tell you you're being deceived. Those that will beguile you will come speaking humbly. They will come and they will mock humility and they will say, I just simply want to be sure. It's a false humility. Paul wants them to know that once you've learned the truth of your completeness in Christ, don't allow yourself to be beguiled by those who add to it in their voluntary humility. The worship of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly minds. They'll confess things that they don't really know. Don't let them take away from you what you do know. Nobody and no thing ought to be able to take away from you what you know to be true in Christ. No matter how diligent they are, no matter how humble they are, no one should be able to take away from you your completeness in Christ. You say, this is such an old Bible time problem. No, this is a present time problem. There are people adding to form and substance and liturgy. They're adding to what you must do. If I must do anything more than what the Word of God's told me to do, then I'm not complete in Christ. But yet he says you are complete in Him. Don't be puffed up. Don't be puffed up by their 
mind and certainly don't be puffed up in your own fleshly mind. And he says, here's where they go wrong. Verse 19. Not holding the head. You notice it should be capitalized. The head. Not holding Christ. Where every where everything goes wrong is when people move away from Christ. Always has been, always will be. Every church that's in doctrinal error today, it's because they moved away from Christ and the completeness that's in Him. Every false religion is because it does not hold the head. It does not hold to Christ They get away from the blood. They get away from the cross. They get away from ultimately glorifying Him who is alone the way, the truth, and the life. They hold not the head. Again, beautiful expressions. Don't disconnect the thoughts, comma, from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together. You take away the head, you take away Christ, there's nothing left but death. Certain death. Take away Christ, everything is out of order. Take away Christ, everything is wrong. If you deny the head, then every doctrine that's taught will be contrary to the glory of God. If Christ is not the head of your doctrine, it is contrary doctrine. If your church is the head, it's wrong doctrine. If some false god is the head, it's false doctrine. You can go into churches today that Christ is not the head. If Christ is not the head, you have false doctrines. Now, what was the problem? The problem was they were, they were pretending to be helping. They were pretending to be increasing. They were pretending to do something that was good. But notice what that verse says again. It's the head is where the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered. Where we get our strength, where we get our, our, the desire to follow after God is from Christ being the head. You only get that when you're unified in Christ. There are people that make very little about even the gathering of God's people together. Brother, I cannot tell you what a privilege and a joy it ought to be to be able to be together with fellow believers who believe the same thing. You fight and struggle and claw all week long with a world that hates your Christ. There's nourishment that comes from being together with God's people. And I'm not talking about super net, superficial nourishment. I'm talking about nourishment because where Christ is proclaimed and Christ is glorified, and it's not just this church, any church where Christ is the head, you are going to receive that which you need to be fed.
They were going to pretend, these false teachers are going to pretend like they're bringing you something to nourish you and something to feed you. But what they're bringing you is nothing but death. That's why Paul makes mention to the word death in the very next phrase in verse 20. He says, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ. If you be dead with Christ, what does it say you're dead from? From the rudiments of the world. You're freed from those things which the self help the self-belief that I can, I, can, I can live how I want. I can, I can do enough things that I can get myself to God. You can't do any such thing. But he asks the question, why? Why, as though living in the world, are you subject to these ordinances? Christ himself, you're complete in him. He has freed you from these things. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments, and he clears it clearly here, and the doctrines of men. Now again, he's not saying there won't be things that maybe you won't touch. There won't be things that you won't taste, you won't handle. As a matter of fact, there are some things in the world that the person who is in Christ shouldn't touch, shouldn't handle. But don't let those things fool you and deceive you into thinking that that's gaining your salvation. Folks, I've watched people use the ordinances like this as a battering ram on people, trying to convince them that because I'm doing this, I'm in and you're not. Again, completeness in Christ. If anyone seeks, he's telling them to impose upon you some regulation, some ordinances as part of your faith. He's telling them you may, by the authority of the word of God, resist it and reject it and claim fully your freedom in Christ. If you've never seen this firsthand, you may not know what I'm even talking about. If you've been a part of it, you've seen it, and you know exactly what Paul's talking, and this is not something that was just in old Bible times. It's alive and well today. Which things, he says in verse 23, have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship. No doubt during this time, there were some of the Jews who would not eat certain types of meat, others who would fast for long periods, there were those who thought it was wicked to eat meat on a certain day. There were other superstitions which are still alive and well today. There were superstitions in those days that you should not eat meat on Fridays. There were superstitions that you should be afraid and avoid any tables of 13 people. You say, that's a strange one. It was a real superstition. I told you this church, they were being infiltrated with all sorts of things that was attempting to undermine their completeness. Their completeness in Christ. Paul simply says you can put away all of that nonsense. You can put that all away from you if you are a true believer in Christ. Cast it out from you. 
Because he said, Nothing, none of this is anything more than a show of wisdom in will worship. It's man wanting to add to it. You cannot add to that which is already complete. Now this final part of this verse looks positive, but it really isn't. And humility and neglecting of the body not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Paul is saying there is no honor in these things. There is, there is no honor in any of those things. Oh, they might seem to make you better than other people, but do not be led into this thought process. Do not be led into this thinking. This reliance upon thinking that if I will just maintain this certain rules and these certain levels of regulations, then it will make everything right with God. Paul says that's not the case. You are complete. You are complete in Christ. Therefore, stand fast in that. Stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given to us. There are so many things, so many things that are attempting to infiltrate our minds and are attempting to infiltrate. And there's nothing, there's nothing worse than to allow the deception to trick you into believing that you are not complete in Christ Jesus alone. No matter how holy and spiritual it sounds, Folks, we're confronted with these things daily. And sometimes we are even patterning our life after someone else because we believe what they're doing makes them closer or makes them more right with God. Now, again, there are going to be actions that are going to follow because of our standing. If we're truly in Christ, there are certain things that the Bible very clearly says we should abstain from. They should not mark our life. But there is nothing. There is no external ceremony. There's nothing that you do that is adding to your salvation at all. Now again, you might have, the, you might have that conviction. This I'm not going to do. But don't use that as a means to say, this is why I'm saved. This is why I'm okay and acceptable before God. It's Christ and Christ only. We ought to be willing to investigate everything that we hear and compare it to what God's Word says. There are people in these arenas who you, will have con you can have conversations with and they will near tell you that their thought process is infallible. They are so sure they're right and you're wrong. And yet, what does Paul say? You are complete in him. Verse 10, you are complete in him. It's interesting as we conclude this this morning, notice in verse 10, he does say, for ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You do know today that Christ is supreme in all things including the prince and the power of the air, 
the rulers of this world. Some seem to have gotten this false notion that God is just kind of hands off right now and just kind of waiting for his moment. He's already supreme. (laughs) And it changes your whole outlook on everything if you believe that God is supreme. Not just over the church. We have this idea, and again, he's head over the church. He's head over all principalities and powers. There is nothing going on in this world that's outside of the providential sovereign hand of God. If he's not, how do you sleep at night? How do you, how do you manage even your own life with all the struggles and all the heartache and all the things that come in your life, if God's not sovereign, how do you sleep? If life is just random, left to chance. No, Paul wants them to understand there is a God in heaven. There is a Christ in whom your completeness is found because he is ruling, he is reigning. Don't let anybody tell you any different. Don't let anybody suggest to you, you need to add something to Christ's completeness. No, he says you are complete in Christ. I pray that we'll have the heart that Paul had, but I pray we'll have that heart for one another. That Christ is supreme. Christ is our fullness. It is in him the whole Godhead bodily is seen through that glorious truth and that faith which comes from God Himself. No one, no thing can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord, nothing. You're complete in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for the reminder. Lord, the reminder that Those that are in Christ are complete in Him. For we are thankful that You have given us these comforting words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. Lord, he knew the conflict they were facing. He knew what was infiltrating them. And through the inspiration of the Spirit as he penned this letter, he reminds them of their standing. He reminds them of their fullness. He reminds them of their completeness. And Lord, I pray above all else today that those that are in Christ today would rest in that. That we would be on guard and not be deceived. We would take your word as it is, as it is written. And that Christ would be magnified and glorified in our lives. For it's in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen.